Okay, well, you can uh, uh, turn with me in your Bibles to uh, Haggai. Actually, you know what? Go to Ezra first. We're going to go to Ezra chapter 3. I know it's confusing to you because we're in Romans. What are we doing in the Old Testament uh, this morning? So go with me to Ezra chapter 3 first, and that's where we're going to pick up. We'll come to Haggai uh, in a moment. But we're going to take a a morning off from Romans uh, to look at some important things for us as a church, things we need to seriously consider uh, as the congregation here in Dwarka. And so I'm going to take the opportunity to do that this morning, being the first Sunday of February. Uh, Hopefully most of you are here, some of you are still listening online as well, uh, to really consider some things for us as a church, right, And, and our purposes and our, and, and, and our purpose as a congregation of believers in this place. Now, in Acts chapter 13, verse 36, you know, as I was preparing this and looking at this uh, subject for this morning, uh, my attention came, went to Acts chapter 13, verse 36, where Paul is preaching in Antioch, Pisidia, Antioch. And he says something really interesting over there in the middle of that sermon. He talks about David. And here's what he says about David. He said, for David... After he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers. And I put that in bold. I don't know if you can see it on the screen here, but he had served the purpose of God in his own generation and then he died. That was a wonderful summary of David's life, isn't it? I like that idea that he served God's purpose for his generation before he died. And I was thinking about us, you know, what about us? Can this be said about us? Can this be said about you at the end of your life? You know, that that Rohan served God's purpose in his generation and then he died. Or that, you know, Jasmine served God's purpose in her generation and then she died. Can that be said about you as a statement of your life? What a worthwhile commendation, isn't it? I think I would like to have that on my tombstone. He served God's purpose in his generation. Dot, dot, dot. You know, be good commendation to have. And so I want to talk about that this morning. You know, serving God's purpose in our generation. We don't have long to live. We don't have long. I just finished my birthday and it's not, it's going fast, man. The year, they're just ticking by, you know, and I'll, you know, I'm over the half, way over the halfway line, I feel. Uh, if you live to 75 or 80 or something like that. But uh, we don't have long to live. We have limited time. And then if in that 70, 80 years, you take off some years of infancy and childhood and you're you're learning, you're growing, and then you take off some years of, of your old age where it becomes more difficult and you have those middle years where you have that little bit of energy that you can use and it's not heaps of time that we have and it's so important for us to consider how we might you know have a commendation like this that you know he served God's purpose for his generation and then he died that our lives would be caught up with the things of God and the purposes of God now we have to stop over here and I want you to think about that statement for a moment because what is God's purpose What is God's purpose? Is everything God's purpose? Because if everything is God's purpose, then then almost nothing is God's purpose. There's nothing exclusive about it, right? Um, 
I mean, is being a husband and a father and a colleague and a business owner and a lawyer and a doctor, is that God's purpose? Well, yes and no. Yes, in one way, God has uniquely shaped you and equipped you and given you responsibilities to serve, you know, to take care of your families and all of those things. And God looks at those things very seriously. And so in a broad sense, that is God's purpose. But think about this. Every human being does that. Every human being does that. They don't have to be a Christian. They don't have to be a follower of Christ to do these things. To take care of their families, to have, uh, to earn a good living, to pay their bills, to be a good dad or a mom or a husband. Every human being is aspiring and doing that, right? And so in that sense, it's a very broad way to speak of God's purpose. And I think when Paul was talking about David, reflecting on David's life, I think he had a much more narrow sense to understanding God's purpose for David. There were lots of people in Israel. David did certain unique things that were God's purpose in his generation. And I think it's, so there's, so there's general things of God that we all do, but I think there's specific things or even, you know, special things that we as believers are called to do that are unique in the generation we live in. Nobody does those things but the people of God. So you understand what I'm saying, right? And so you have to be a, a good dad and a and mom and, and you know a homemaker and a businessman, all those things. Absolutely. You must do those things. And the Bible has lots to say about that. But in a special way, in a unique way, Christians are called to a, a common purpose, one purpose that God has given to us in that sense. And so if we were to boil it all down and narrow it down, you know, you can think of uh, Matthew 28 where Jesus leaves us with these words in verses 18 to 20. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you and I and behold I am with you always to the end of the age he somewhat repeated this thing in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 he says you know you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem Judea Samaria and to the ends of the earth and that's what the church Acts is the record of what the early church prioritized amidst everything else that ordinary people were doing they prioritized the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They said, we've got to take the gospel out. And that's what they did. Because they took Jesus' words seriously. And they said, this is the special, specific, unique purpose of God for our generation. And we've got to fulfill it. We've got to fulfill it. And I'm emphasizing this because, you know, many of us, we kind of think, you know, God's purpose is I got to be a good dad. I got to take care of my family. And we kind of, you got to do those things, but you have to have in your mind and in your heart, the specific, special, unique purpose that God has called us as the people of God to fulfill the commission of the Lord Jesus Christ. You got to have that. It's got to be right there. And in fact, you know, in, in, in Matthew uh, chapter 6, Jesus talks about, he says, do not be anxious for your life. You remember that, right? What you will eat, what you will drink, what you will wear. And the way we are anxious for it is, of course, we are working and slaving, you know, burning the midnight oil, trying to provide for our families. And Jesus says, don't be anxious for your life. I'll take care of you. And then at the end of that, what does he say? But 
seek first seek first the kingdom of god and his righteousness and all these things that you worry about will be added unto you as well seek first the kingdom of god and i want that to be a real challenge uh, for us this morning this is what the early church did you know they gave themselves to it they were mums and dads they were students they were workers they were businessmen and women they were politicians lawyers farmers doctors and even slaves there were all kinds of people in the church and they all did those things faithfully but the special calling that they recognized and they lived by was the commission of the lord jesus christ to take the gospel to the nations to be concerned for the increase and the spread of the gospel of the lord jesus christ and so i want to understand this a little bit better and and dig into it and and you know towards the end of the sermon i'm going to talk about some specific things where dbf is concerned and where dbf dwarka is concerned as an application for us as a congregation so we'll we'll get there but i want you to come with me to ezra and hagai all right so we'll look at ezra first and i think it's really helpful of what happens with the people of god over here and how it relates uh, to us and i shared this at the board meeting on on dbf board meeting last saturday i thought it would be really relevant for us also uh, to consider uh, this morning for our meditation now ezra just a quick overview is a book of the return of the jewish people uh, who were in exile in persia and so they had gone under nebuchadnezzar 70 years and then the decree of cyrus the great you know he comes along issues a decree that the people can return to jerusalem and to judah and rebuild the temple of the lord what a decree from cyrus the great you know this great well known historical figure this persian king and so in 536 537 bc um 43000 people return from the exile and they come to jerusalem and they begin the rebuilding of the work the rebuilding of the temple of the lord and that's what we want to pick up from this morning now again just to reiterate it's an important matter for us to consider uh you know what god's purpose is for us in our generation that was a specific thing god called them to do and they went back and they started the work of rebuilding the temple you see the importance we give to god's work and god's purposes uh in this world is what we want to talk about what is it that keeps you from being fully and meaningfully engaged in what god has purposed for his people to do think about that for yourself as we look at this now the key leaders at this time were jeshua and zerubbabel and so if you read as ezra chapter 3 1 to 7 you'll see that in the seventh month the month of tishri uh they started you know they were rebuilding the altar and they offered burnt offerings on it i'm not going to go into a lot of details over there and they worshiped the lord right it was a great celebration as they did that look at verse 3 and it tells us uh that they rebuilt the altar they set the altar in its place for fear was on them because of the peoples of the land and they offered burnt offerings on it to the lord burnt offerings morning and evening And so that gives us a hint as to one of the reasons why they were offering these offerings because they were a bit afraid of the people around them. There was opposition that they were concerned about. And so they went to God. They went to God. That's good for us to consider. Where do you go to 
when you are in strife in difficulty who do you turn to for help you know we may often turn to people in our lives or you know some security we find in our in our job in our bank balance and our our intelligence our physical ability and all of those things and i mean of course those things have their place but it's important for us to recognize that it is god who ultimately secures us and that's what the people are doing over here they go to god because of the fear of the people around them and they ask for god's help and favor now i'm going to jump ahead over here once the altar is of the temple is built the people start work on the foundation of the temple they start laying the foundation for the temple itself and so remember Cyrus had issued a decree which i mentioned to you earlier for the rebuilding of the temple you can read about it in Ezra chapter 1 and so they were well within their rights to do this and so they ordered you know cedar trees to be brought from Lebanon and they paid the masons and the carpenters to begin the work of the rebuilding of the temple that's what God had called them to through this decree and they were you know they were engaged in it and Zerubbabel and Jeshua were leading them in the work that they were doing now you jump down to verse 10 and it says that the foundation of the temple of the Lord was laid and the priests and the Levites came forward in their worship outfits and with their instruments to praise the Lord. And they had a worship service over there. Verse 10, verse 11. And they sang, for he is good and his steadfast love endures forever. And that's a wonderful picture of worship, of celebration that we see over there. And it says, you know, that, that the elders together were there and they were people who were weeping because they remembered the temple 70 years ago that had been completely demolished and destroyed, but now the work was beginning to rebuild it. And I, I, I love that picture. And I, I wonder if we have that same sense of, of emotion and anticipation in the things of God. The things of God. Do we feel that sense of excitement? You know, the, the scriptures tell us in Luke chapter 15 that all of heaven rejoices when one sinner repents. Is there any joy in us? Any anticipation in us when we see, see the work of God happening? A celebration in our spirits. When we see, you know, the things of God being done. And I love what's going on over here and the way the people respond to it. What a picture of worship. But let's move on over here to chapter 4. You see the work of the temple began. And uh, you know it was going on in earnest. But as soon as it began, there was opposition. There was opposition to it. And there were adversaries that came up and they stopped the work. And so if you read the rest of chapter 4... You will have an account of how these people came against the people of Judah and Jerusalem and they put a stop to the work of the rebuilding of the temple. They even bribed counselors against them. And so for the next 16 years, the work of the temple stopped because of opposition. And you can read all about that in, in chapter 4. I'm not going to get into it because I have much more to say. But I want you to, to just notice that over here. Verse 24. The result of this opposition when they began building the temple was what, that the work of rebuilding stopped until the second year of Darius. 16 years later, they stopped the work of the Lord. And I think it's, you know, it's sad how quickly 
the people wilted under opposition. It's not a good reason for us to stop God's work. We may face opposition, but God calls us to obedience and perseverance. And in fact, if you read on in Ezra, they start the work in spite of the opposition because there's, you know, God calls them to it. And, and actually Haggai is going to be instrumental in that. But also you come ahead to Nehemiah because Nehemiah comes uh, to Jerusalem about, you know, 12 years uh, after Ezra comes and many years actually after these events. Uh, and he starts rebuilding the walls and there's opposition, but he perseveres through with the people. And I, I want us to just consider this for a moment because we, don't, we do live in difficult times in our country. There is opposition to the work of the gospel. And when it comes, it's not a good reason for us to stop. We keep persevering on. Right? And so that's one reason why they stopped the work. And hopefully when it comes our way, it won't be a reason why we stop God's work. But there's another reason. And I think that's more relevant for us this morning. Another reason why the people stopped doing the work of God. In this case, the rebuilding of the temple. But there's another reason for that. And it's more significant for us as DBF Dwarka. You see, we live in the city of New Delhi. And we hardly face any opposition for our faith. We don't really. When was the last time anybody said, don't go to church? Don't sing songs? Don't have a Bible study in your home. When was the last time that that actually happened to you in the city? My goodness, we live in such real comfort over here. And so opposition hasn't really been a thing for us to deal with. And we cannot even use it as an excuse. But the second reason why they stopped the work is more relevant to us, sadly. And the book of Haggai gives us interesting insight into this. So turn with me now to Haggai. Just jump ahead to Haggai. Habakkuk, Zephaniah, what is it? It's, it's confusing, right, to find Haggai, but it's there. Um, Zephaniah, Haggai, chapter 1. And so we're jumping ahead uh, from those events in Ezra. To Haggai chapter 1, 16 years have gone by, that exact period of time. And the prophet Haggai comes along and he begins to speak to the people, the prophet Haggai. And here's what we read in Haggai chapter 1 verses 2 to 4 that uh, Rohan had read for us. He says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say that the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Interesting. Let's just pause over there for a moment. Firstly, I want you to notice that the people were making excuses. What were they saying? The time has not yet come. I mean, Cyrus has issued a decree. He sent back 43,000 of them and they say, you know, the time has not yet come. And one reason they probably did that was because of the opposition. They were overwhelmed by the opposition. They said, oh, it's probably not the right time to do it. But I think that was more of an excuse because of what Haggai says next. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. And he says this, he asks the question, Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? 
And here's the second reason why they stopped the rebuilding. is because they became preoccupied with their own kingdoms, if you like. Their own little family affairs, their own businesses, their own careers, their own things that they were occupied with. They became busy with it, building their own houses even. And he says, uh, is it right for you to do it while this house lies in ruins? Verse 9, he says, just jump down to Haggai 1 verse 9. He says, you looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why? Declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. That's the reason why they stopped building. And it's not so obvious in Ezra. Ezra only records for us the opposition. But this was another reason why they stopped the building of God's house. They stopped being busy about God's work. How sad is this? How sad it is. And I, and I wonder if that's true of us. You know, in what ways do we neglect the work of God? Because it's so easy to become preoccupied with your own career, your own house, so to speak, your things, your opportunities, your money, <coughs> your family, that you neglect God's work. And God, it's good for us to examine our lives to see why we are not more engaged in the work of the kingdom of God. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Of course, all these other things are important. But if you prioritize, God's things have got to be above all of those things. They've got to have a prominence. They've got to be the center of your life. Everything else is affected and impacted by the very fact that you are wholeheartedly devoted to the things of God. Because it's not right the other way around. That's what God says through Haggai the prophet. Now I want you to notice the consequences of getting your priorities wrong. Here's the consequences of getting your priorities wrong. Look at verses 5 and 6 of Haggai chapter 1. Verses 5 and 6. <clears throat> it says, Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. You have sown much, and have harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who, who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Come down with me from verses 7 uh, through to 11. He says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each one of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld their dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labors. What a stunning rebuke, isn't it, from the Lord? He says, you, you're working, but it's amounting to nothing. You're eating, but you're never full. 
You get money, but your bags have holes in them. It's, it's you're, you're, you're toiling endlessly, anxiously, like Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 6. And there's all that anxiety and worry and stress in your life. And he says, you've got it backwards. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. Don't go after those things. He says in Matthew 6, he says, the Gentiles are concerned about those things, but not so you. And what God is calling us and calling the people over here and calling us to is to get our priorities right. To seek first the things of God. And when we do that, you know, when we do that, God will bring forth fruit from the other things that we do in our life. He will bless your families. He will bless your work. He will take care of your expenses. He will take care of your homes. And this is not a prosperity gospel thing at all. We're not at all. We do not believe in the prosperity gospel. We do, we serve the Lord. We do it because we love God and we live for his glory. And God says, when you do that, watch what I do for you. That's what God says when you do that. You see, Israel's faithlessness led to fruitlessness. And so also for us. Our faithlessness will lead to fruitlessness and a futility in everything that we might do in our life. And I want this for us, you know, they, we have such a variety of people here. Some of us are studying, you know, some of us have our own businesses. We have our own, uh, you know, things that we're working at. Some of us are working in, the, you know, corporate jobs or government jobs or whatever it is. Some of us are homemakers and all those things are important. But if God's business is not at the heart of your life and everything else is around that, then you're missing the point of what God's special calling on you as a Christian is. To seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. You know, there were two things that kept these people from doing God's work. Opposition, which honestly we don't face much of right now. Don't make that an excuse. And when it comes, don't stop God's work. Like Nehemiah and others, right? Keep on going. But the second reason why they stopped was because they got busy with their own careers, their own work, their own money, their own profession, their own promotions. And God says that it is futile and fruitless to do that. And so I want to place that as a challenge before us, you know, this morning uh, as a church to be committed to the things of God. And I want to quickly, very quickly, in a, in a few minutes, and I won't spend time on this, but we'll, we will definitely talk about it more, is to see what we need to do as a church, as DBF Dwarka in this place, right? Apart from all of the ministries that you're signing up, we're building the, co the congregation, absolutely yes. Uh, but here's the vision of Delhi Bible Fellowship, all right? And so this is something that was approved by the DBF. The pastors did it two years ago. It was approved by the board last year. And it's something that a lot of the other congregations are working on. We just need to get on board with this, right? And so here's what it is. It says, we envision the gospel-centered transformation of North India through a network of biblically healthy churches. I know it's a switch from what we've been talking about. Stay with me on this, all right? And that's the vision. We, we in, go back. 
the, the gospel-centered transformation of North India through a network of biblically healthy churches. Now, we need to be a biblically healthy church. And so that's what we go to the next slide. You know, biblically healthy church. And so we, we've talked about this as our own vision to be a Christ-centered spiritual community, passionate for God's glory in all things. And so we want to be devoted to those things. But go to the next one as well. What do we do, right? We gather. You know this? We gather, we grow, we give, we go. Very simple way to think about what we do as a church. We gather. Our gathering is so important. Don't miss Sunday services. Try and be there regularly. I know there are sometimes excuses and all that, but this is the gathering of God's people. When we gather, you know, we come together, we learn scripture, not just here, by the way, but life groups also, other occasions that we meet, we gather. And as we do that, we grow. We nurture each other through the word of God, through the spiritual relationships that bind us. And as we grow, we give. And the giving is not only money, but it's definitely in our time, our resources, our energy. We give uh, to the things of God. And as we nurture that, and then we, as a church, we, we go. We, we are passionate. We're thinking about the gospel and the spread and increase of the gospel around us. And so we're going to keep talking about this. And I'm just throwing it out over here, but we're going to keep coming back to this over this year because we want to get serious about this as a church. Now, here's a couple of things that we really want to do. And let me give you quickly an idea of uh, the clusters of DBF. You may, have, you may know this, you may not have an idea of this, but DBF has a structure. It's called a cluster model, all right? Uh, it's been in, around for some years now. We basically have nine clusters. Uh, and so DBF Dwarka is a, one of the nine clusters. DBF Central, South Delhi, Noida, North Delhi, West Delhi, Southwest Delhi, Dakshin Puri, Gurgaon. I think I've got them, right? Oh yeah, it's up there. So there's nine clusters of DBF. Each, and it, the, the cluster it has the analogy of a grapevine. So, you know, the, the vine is DBF. I know Jesus is the vine. But for the sake of the structure, the vine is DBF, the network, and then you have all these clusters that are hanging off it, and they're all those, each cluster has multiple congregations. So if you go to DBF Gurgaon, for instance, they have uh, multiple congregations that are in the Gurgaon cluster. They have an English service, I think they have two services in the morning or something like that. They have a Hindi service in the evening, they have a Hindi service in a different location, and I think they've started a new English service in a different location as well. That's a cluster. Central has the same and uh, the other congregations have the same uh, in that sense. But, you know, just many congregations. DBF Dwarka has one fruit. You're happy about that? Can't be happy about that. But we have just one thing right now, right? We need to be serious about this vision as Delhi Bible Fellowship. And so we want to see more churches uh, planted or more churches that we are networking with as Delhi Bible Fellowship. And so here's what we want to do. And we've discussed this as the elders and we're going to work towards this, all right? We would like to work toward planting and su or supporting a Hindi church in the coming year. And we see that as a tremendous area of need uh, in the Dwarka area and we are working towards it. In fact, we have met a person, uh, a pastor who's already busy about this work and we want to see how we can get alongside uh, with him, supporting his work and, and working together alongside him and actually, you know, 
him becoming part of the Dwarka cluster and seeing how we can develop a Hindi ministry uh, in Dwarka in the coming year. So we, we need to do that. We need a space. And we talked about this last year. We're not going to buy a space right now. It's too expensive to do that. But we're going to keep the money that we've collected and we're going to keep collecting money toward that. And when the time is right, God will help us buy a space. But for now, we do need a space that we can rent and use because it's becoming very difficult for us to continue over here. Plus, we do not have, you know, a space to do things beyond Sunday morning. We can't get this place uh, beyond Sunday morning. And so we're really looking at having a space where we, everything is set up and we can run lots of different things in that place through the week. And so we, we're working uh, towards that. Uh, we will need, of course, to support a, a pastor. If we're going to start a Hindi congregation, we're going to have to support that pastor uh, that comes along and does that. And then, of course, we're going to need more money to do all of that. And um, last year, the last two, three years, actually, DBF Dwarka was right on top with our giving. Amongst all the nine clusters, we were right on top. We were doing really well. This year, we're at the bottom. We've just slacked off. I don't know what has happened, but in our giving, we're at the bottom. We're in a deficit. And I'll share with you what that looks like so that maybe by, by, the, by the end of this financial year, we can somehow make up that deficit and get back in the green. But that's not good enough. It's not good enough just to scrape through. In fact, we're going to try, and in this next couple of weeks, we have to work on our budget for the coming year. And we're going to increase the budget significantly to accommodate these things. But we need everybody on board to do that. And so I don't have the figures now because we have to work on the budget. Uh, and so, but we will put in some of these aspects as well. But we need everybody. Now we're a small congregation, but there were 43,000 people who went back and they rebuilt the temple in Jerusalem. It's not a big number to rebuild a city. We're a small group over here. And if we take God's work seriously, and we put our minds and our heart and our resources into it, God will take care of the rest. He wants to see our hearts committed to it. Do you, do, you, do you think he's not concerned about all these things more than we are? Absolutely, yes. But he wants our hearts and our minds and our resources to be fully engaged with it. So we're going to come back to you uh, on these things. But I wanted to put that before us as a challenge for all of us to stretch ourselves really much beyond what we have been doing and to get serious about this in the coming year. Let me give you a moment to, to pray, not for yourself, but to pray for us as a church to be devoted to the purposes of God in our generation. Let's take a moment to do that. Father in heaven, we, we've said a lot this morning. There's a lot for us to consider. I know it individually, in our own hearts, as to where our priorities lie. But then even as a community, Lord Jesus, as to how we are being faithful in this place, serving the purposes of God in our generation. And I hope that this group of people right now in this room this congregation of believers might be a community that really at the end of our time that can be said about us that we served God's purpose in our generation. We did what we could for the sake of the gospel in Dwarka and the surrounding areas. 
So give us that passion in a united way to be busy about your work, Lord. Give us clarity to accomplish the vision. Give us a, a united mind and heart so that we can all put our hands together, Lord Jesus, and work on the work that you've called us to. And we know, Lord, that when we are busy about your work, you will take care of our concerns and our families and our homes. But give us a, a clarity, Lord, in the way we set our priorities. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.